A new year is a time for, of self-assessment, renewal, and resolution, with losing weight frequently topping the list of perennial New Year health goals. Physical activity, half of the much debated calories in, calories out model, becomes a solution. And anyone who has a gym membership knows how difficult it is to access your favorite exercise equipment in January. High expectations for weight loss through exercise, typically unmet, leads to attrition, and so gyms that are crowded in January are quiet in March. While physical activity does burn calories, its benefits extend well beyond calories out. Physical activity improves cardiovascular health, improves, improves glucose metabolism, provides anti-inflammatory benefits, and improves mental health. Hi, I'm Dr. Nick Pennings, Chair of Family Medicine of the Campbell University School of Osteopathic Medicine and Executive Director of Clinical Education at the OMA. My guest on the podcast today is John, Dr. John Jakisic, PhD, Research Professor and in the Department of Internal Medicine and the Division of Physical Activity and Weight Management at the University of Kansas. Dr. Jakisic presented at the OMA Fall 2022 Obesity Summit in Anaheim. His talk was titled, Wait a Minute, Considerations for Physical Activity being effective for weight loss and maintenance. Welcome, John. Hi, thanks for having me. As I mentioned in my introduction, expectations around the benefits of exercise on weight loss are often high and unmet. What role should physical activity play in obesity treatment and how should clinicians treating obesity manage expectations around physical activity and treatment outcomes? Well, I think that physical activity absolutely needs to be part of that treatment paradigm. Um, and however, I do, I do think that sometimes we set our expectations just a little bit too high for what um, activity or exercise can, can do for us, um, particularly as individuals get up into the higher strata of, of body weight or B, BMI, they kind of get at those higher levels. Um, you know, we all know the, of patients that have some mobility limitations and things. Um, so what we know from, from the research we've done it and others have done it is that, you know, there's some effect of exercise or physical activity on body weight. And over a, about a three to six month period of time, on average, it'll result in about a two to three kilogram reduction in body weight, um, some re reduction in body fatness, um, might minimize changes in, in lean body mass. And you see that across all types of exercise, cardio exercise, resistance exercise, it's all kind of all the same, right? So I don't, I don't, I think clinicians need to be careful about saying this is the best one for weight loss. I don't think we know that there's one best for weight loss. But I do think that, you know, many of the patients that clinicians see also have a lot of other cardiometabolic problems and other things. Um, and so putting all of our eggs in the obesity basket uh, is probably not the best thing to do. Um, we can put it in that basket, but we also know that even if a person loses just a couple kilograms, but they become much more physically active, all these other great things will happen for them. You know, insulin resistance goes down, glucose control go, improves, blood pressure improves and other things. So, so I think that, you know, there's, there's, there's a modest benefit with activity by itself, um, but there's all these other health benefits that we can't dismiss. And that's why I really feel like it needs to be part of the paradigm. And you, you know, mentioned changes in body composition. And so there, there are limitations to just using the scale as a measure of weight change. How much does change in body composition weigh in a factor and how should we manage that around the expectations of the patients? Well, I mean, I think that there's, 
you know, this is kind of getting into, into a little bit of a zone that becomes a little contentious at times, you know, because when you take, you know, a, a person that's exercising a ton, you know, an athlete, those kind of those kind of individuals, there are major changes in body composition with body fatness going down. And there's this potential for lean mass to go up, but it's with a ton of exercise. And I think that, you know, one of the misconceptions is, is that if you take a person with a BMI of, let's just say 35, for example, and they start an exercise program where they're going to the gym three times a week, walking on a treadmill, maybe doing a little lifting of weights, um, and their weight's not changing on the scale very much. The first thing that people say is, well, they're exercising, they're gaining all this lean mass. Well, that's really not happening. Um, it takes a ton of exercise to increase uh, lean mass. So I think when the scale's not moving in those situations, it's due to the fact that energy intake and energy expenditure still are kind of not where they need to be. And, and the activity is not really having, it's having a modest effect, a very modest effect, but it's not because lean mass is going up. And one of the other things that happens as you're losing weight is that you lose both fat and muscle. Mm -hmm. uh, and so does exercise help preserve some of that muscle mass? Yeah, I mean, it, it will help to preserve some of the lean mass, but I think the more weight you lose, the we have to be careful about the expectation is it's going to preserve all of it. Um, so you'll always lose some lean mass. We've seen that. We've seen that with dietary modification. We've seen that with excessive dietary modification, bariatric surgery, even many of the medications that are on the out there right now and have been out there. Um, exercise or physical activity to a degree will help to blunt some of that loss, but it won't completely prevent it. And you know, Nick, in some ways it makes a lot of sense that you're not going to want to prevent all of it. I mean, the muscle on the body is there to support the weight that it's carrying around. And as you lose weight, the body naturally says, I don't need as much of this to kind of do my thing. So um, I think a, a modest change that's not excessive is, is probably just fine for most people. Okay. So there are a lot of different types of dietary programs out there and physical activity plans are commonly combined with dietary restriction. Uh, but just as there is a wide range of dietary options, um, they can they can range from you know from mild calorie restriction to severe calorie restriction. So when we're treating obesity, should considerations be made with respect to pairing dietary recommendations with physical activity? You know, I, I, that's a, that's probably a whole podcast in and of itself in terms of that, because part you know part of that is is that what. We tend to have thought about those in silos for, for a long, long time. And, you know, a few number of years ago, I started to talk about, you know, they inter actually interact with one another um, in, in many ways. So, um, you know, you have to, be, you have to be understand that when you start to become more physically active, you have some people who um, respond or don't respond to that activity. They, they start to either lose weight or maybe not lose as much weight as you expect. And what we found in our own research and others have shown this is that for some people, exercise causes a satiety response. For others, that same exercise might cause a hunger response. And so, you know, thinking about how we not only pair the types of diets, but also the timing of when activity happens in relationship to when we're eating, uh, and that response, I think, are, are a little bit critical. So if I was a clinician seeing patients, um, and I, you know, I, I started talking to a patient, I would say, you know, when, when you're done becoming, when you, when you are physically active and you go out and maybe you do a structured bout of activity, how do you feel from a hunger perspective when that's done? And if the person says, 
I'm always hungry when I'm done exer exercising. I'm going to handle that person differently than a person says, you know, when I'm done, I feel great. I don't feel like eating at all. So I, I think that we have to match the eating patterns to how people feel when, in response to these activity patterns that they do for sure. Yeah, I think that is a, is a great point. We may not be asking about how exercise is impacting appetite. So do certain macronutrients play an important role then in different patients who respond differently to exercise? Well, I mean, it's, again, there's a lot of work that need, still needs to be done here, but I think the best literature out there is, you know, from um, the individual, like, performance literature, the exercise performance literature, because they're really trying to pair that together to op some optimized performance. And, you know, and for many, many years, there's there's been some evidence that, you know, for, for controlling that eating behavior after an act active activity bout is important. Um, that, you know, it's a couple hundred calories, maybe of some carbs mixed with some protein that you're going to kind of benefit the most from, but it's not going out and eating, and eating a full meal. It doesn't take much to kind of deal with that, that hunger and satiety. At the same point, it's giving your body back some of the nutrients that it just kind of used up and it can maximize the use of those. Um, the other, you know, the other thing that I always ask, I would recommend that we, we talk to pe people about is when you're done, if you're a person that says, when I'm done act, being active, I'm hungry. Is that because you're hungry because you just felt like you've been active and I, I deserve to eat something, I should eat something? Or are you actually feeling the hunger feeling? I'm actually feeling this hunger. And I, and I think helping people differentiate that too is really kind of an important an important step. So um, I think that there's a lot that you can do there, but trying to um, you know unpack all of that with a patient will help them to understand when you're done at being active, don't just go out and start eating. That's just not a, that's just not a good thing. You, you can wipe out one bottle of activity with a, with a half of a Snickers bar or any kind of candy bar, right? You don't want to do right. that uh, by any means, but it doesn't mean that that's not still okay for you to do. That, that is a big challenge. It's easy to eat your calories that you get from, uh, eat from that you burn while you're exercising. And so I think a lot of people feel like maybe there might be an title to something or be able to eat more if they're exercising more, not realizing how quickly they can consume those calories they just burned. Yeah, we talk a lot about that you know, with patients about, you know, energy equivalence, you know, so if you go out and you do this, how much of this over here, and I had this one slide that I made many years ago where I had, you know, 300 calories of activity. And I said, that's about walking three-ish miles, you know, go out and walk for an hour, that's what you're going to get. And over here, you could eat like six reasonable size oranges or just a few cookies, you know, I mean, it, it puts it in perspective for people. And I think that that is another way to kind of think about helping people and understand what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, I, I do something similar along those lines. You know, if, if somebody's tempted to eat a, a cookie or a, a cupcake uh, and you equate to how much work you have to do to burn that off, uh, it makes it less desirable and, and right. that helps people make healthier decisions. Yeah, I think I think it, I think it can, it, and it's going to work differently for other for everyone. You know, just putting calories on a package doesn't always work for everybody, but for some people it does work. And I think we need to pick our spots where that kind of education will make a difference for folks. And so you talked a little bit about responders versus non-responders to uh, physical activity. Uh, is there any kind of ways that you help to identify those? individuals or how to maybe anticipate that or how to respond when people are not losing weight despite physical activity? 
Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's been really hard to say that this is right now, we don't have great data at all to say this is the best kind of activity for that type of person who's going to get the best kind of response. So to try to match that um, is really, really difficult. I think more importantly, there's a couple things that you can deal, deal with with a participant to try to match to the best ability. You know, one of them is obviously liking of what they do, right? I mean, if, if you say, I, as a physician or as a health provider, you tell somebody to go do something and they can't do it, they don't have access to it, it's not going to work anyway. So think, figuring out what's feasible for that, for that type of individual. The second thing around that feasibility is what are the barriers to actually making that happen? You know, it's, everybody says how great it is. You can just, well, everybody has a sidewalk outside the house, just put on some comfortable shoes and go for a walk. Well, what if they live in a place where it's really not safe to go and do that? That recommendation again, isn't going to work. So I think the first step is, is ask, when you start to think about it, you know, what are the things you like to do and what is the stuff that gets in the way of you being able to be active? That may help you to pair what you want to do. But then the second thing is, is just, you know, your patient. You know, you know your patient physically um, uh, better than others. And, you know, if you see a person who really struggles to just get out of the chair, has mobility limitations, again, telling them to go for a walk or recommending a walk is not going to be a great thing for them because it's not, they're not going to be able to do very much. And so I think the match, as opposed to saying this is what's best metabolically for, for a person to start, I think the match has to be what's best and most feasible for a person to start and then start to worry about once you get somebody getting some of that activity, am I starting to get the response that I was hoping for and that patient's hoping for? And if not, then you can start to tweak that. But, you know, recommending something that no one can do or won't do isn't a very good recommendation, right? So that's the way yeah. I think a physician and all of us should think about activity for people. And what I tell my patients is the best exercise is the one you'll do every day. Absolutely. And, and I think there's some people say, well, you know, I don't, I don't have time to, to be active. And it's usually the biggest barrier. I don't have time because I'm doing all this other stuff. You know, ask them how many episodes of some television show they watched that evening and say, if you could just replace one of those, right, there's, there's your 30 minutes. Um, I think that that kind of, again, puts it in, puts it in perspective. And also, I think we, we want to move away a bit from this term exercise and move more towards for some people, just activity, you know, are you moving around at work? Oh, yes. Okay. I want you to do more of that. Did you walk into my office today? Yes. I just want you to do more of that. Like, how can you get them to get more mobile? And, uh, you know, one of the laws um, out there uh, is, you know, if an object at motion remains in motion, an object at rest remains at rest. So maybe if we can just get them to move a little bit, maybe they'll keep moving. Keep moving. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So when patients cut their calories, they typically lose weight, but over time, adaptive mechanisms kick in. You get reductions in resting metabolic rate and mental fatigue from dieting and increased hunger, which is going to slow and sometimes even stop weight loss. Mm -hmm. Physical activity burns calories, contributes to weight loss, but do the same adaptive mechanisms kick in for physical activity that we see with dietary changes? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're losing, if you're losing weight, um, you're going to have a, a modest reduction in resting metabolic rate, just because there's less of you that needs calories to, to, to function. So you're going to see some of those types of things. I think the other part that most people don't understand or really realize is that as you do activity, you become much more efficient. Um, so to, and as you lose weight, you become much more efficient. So if I started walking, a, you know, a mile today, 
I might burn 100 calories, but if I lose five or 10 pounds, that 100 calories might be turning into 90 or 80 calories for that same mile of walking because there's less of me. Um, so the way to think about how do I make that up? I need to start thinking about how do I make that up because my body is adapting to my weight loss. My body is adapting to my efficiency. There's two ways to make that up. One, I can do just simply do more, go longer. The other way is when I'm out there doing this to go a little harder, to pick up the intensity. So what was you know hard before is becoming easier. And when it starts to feel easier, you need to make it hard again <laughs> in order for you to keep benefiting from that perspective. Um, or you need to be able to put in more time. So there's these adaptive responses that occur. Some of them are great. They're, they're, they're designed to do this. But to keep the caloric burn going and keep that up, you need to start to what we'll call overload a little bit. And I, and I think just telling people, you know, Keep keep walking at a pace that is a as if you're going to be late for a meeting, um, and people understand what that is. And if they do that, that'll automatically just kind of keep them going um, in in terms of an overload principle. So as physical conditioning occurs, do we then become more efficient at our calorie burn and therefore burn fewer calories? Well, it's it's I don't want to say that we necessarily burn you know fewer calories. But if, let's take it this way, if if you were going to w walk three miles, it might take you an hour or so. If you were ultimately fit enough to run those three miles, you would run that in 25 to 30 minutes. So the the caloric burn on those two things is going to be a little bit, a little bit different. Um, but it's, but your efficiency is allowing you to be, you know, your body's trying to hang on. Right, it's trying to hang. It's saying, "How can I do this with a lot more efficiency?" Um, as you lose weight, um, think about a person that's walking down the street and and has some weight to lose. You look at their walking gait; it's not very clean. It's you know, it's you know, they're trying to deal with their excess excess weight. As they lose weight and they become more fit, that walking gait kind of gets cleaner. It looks like it's they're walking in a straighter line. All of that's reducing the caloric burn because you're becoming more efficient. So you know, probably the best. I don't I don't know if anybody you know, if any of your your listeners ever watched the old friends show that used to be on there was an episode where phoebe was out running and people were laughing at her but she ran and she just flailed her arms all over the place and kicked her legs and that's the most inefficient way to run but it burns the most calories so if you're out there being active be inefficient <laughs> be inefficient right yeah that's exactly great. that's great does mixing up the type of exercise you do and changing the types help with that as well you know that's a hard one because you know in some way, mixing it up gives your body kind of a lot of different feels and looks and so on and so forth. Um, uh, you know, if I went from resistance training one day to cardio training another day and maybe riding my bike this day compared to walking that day, it's all working the muscles a little bit differently and probably working different muscles. So that actually helps to kind of get them all get them all going. My, my only caution with that is, is if a person's on a routine where they're out there and they're getting their, their three mile walk in every day, Breaking that routine could be a little bit risky, right? Because if you break the routine, they might kind of fall off. So I'd say that when you, you know, it's, I think for a person that's dealing with their body weight, there's a lot of advantages to making sure they get their cardio activity. There's a lot of benefits with that. Secondarily work in the, in some type of resistance training or body weight kind of, kind of activity. But at the same time, be thinking about just you know, what I'll call stretching types of motions. I mean, things that get the range of motion going because, you know, as a person loses weight, they have to almost kind of relearn how to handle this less weight 
um, as they move around. So I think all of that is important. But focus in on the one you know you're going to do the most because that's going to give you the best the best outcome in the long run. Yeah, and and stretching, mobility, and balance are important parts of a physical condition that are often overlooked. Absolutely, and I think the other place where we we need to just be a little bit cautious is it's one thing if you have a 25 year old lose weight. It's another thing if you have a 70 year old lose weight. And as you know, it's, you know, do you want a 70 year old losing weight? There's probably some big benefit. There are some big benefits to that, but we have to be a little bit cautious. And I think that as you go up the, the chain of age, the kinds of the resistance kinds of activities, range of motion activities become more and more important to kind of balance that aging with that obesity treatment that we're giving people. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. This has been very interesting. I, one other question. When talking to a clinician about uh, treatment of obesity, what is your favorite bit of advice you like to give clinicians? Um, and this, I, I want to be careful how I say this, but um, if, if medicine alone was going to fix the obesity problem, we would have fixed it a long time ago. So Medicine and medical care for patients with obesity is a piece of the puzzle, um, but there's a lot of other pieces to that puzzle that come from the environments that people live in and so on that aren't driven by medicine, but are driven by a lot of other things. And so to make sure that they're taking that into account as they're talking and treating patients. And, and in that, I think the physician message is very, very powerful. And so making sure that they're sending a very realistic, caring message to patients with obesity, I think goes a long, long way in this kind of complex disease state that they're in. It is, and I think it's a great point, especially as we are developing medications that are more and more effective. One of my fears is that the importance of nutritional interventions, of physical activity, of behavioral therapies become less and less as the focus becomes more about the medication. And we certainly don't want to lose sight of those essential components of obesity treatment. Right. And I think that, you know, um, uh, you know to kind of put that in, to build on that just slightly, um, obesity and excess body weight are outgrowths of energy imbalance, right? I mean, whether or not it's genetically driven environment, it doesn't matter how it's being driven. It's an energy imbalance. And so when you're addressing the weight, you're addressing the weight, but you might not be addressing all the things that go along with, with that, with that weight. Um, and so really thinking about not just treating weight, but treating the entire perspective of that, of that patient, I think is really, really important. Yeah, treating the whole patient. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. Uh, you can find Dr. Jakisic's lecture in called Wait a Minute, Considerations for Physical Activity Being Effective for Weight Loss and Maintenance in the OMA Academy. Where else can our listeners learn more about your work? Uh, so I, they can search me. Um, I, I'm on LinkedIn um, and I tend to, you know, follow and post some things up on there periodically on Twitter, not, not as much there, but also if they just search, uh, search me on, you know, PubMed or go and Google, Google me, they'll come up with a whole list of things. For example, last week I was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal. And so I do a lot of, a lot of those kind of things as well. So I'm out there in the public domain, kind of trying to send this good message. And that's great. Well, thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend and help the OMA as we strive to advance clinician understanding of the treatment of obesity.